0: Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this, Mass Movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, Mass Movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Greetings folks and welcome to another episode of Geekorama. This time um, I've interviewed Dari Maronino uh, on the re-release of his book Don't Ever Punch a Rockstar which is about to be published by DeWolf Publishing and Tony Reflex from the Adolescents about their new album Caesar Salad Days. So um, tune in, turn it up and geek out and to begin with here's Danny. Hey Danny.
1: Hey, I don't know why i showed a picture of my wife, but uh... I was gonna <laughs> say I was, I was gonna say you're quite
0: an attractive looking fellow. <laughs> you
1: know, it's <laughs> funny I, I'm signed in under my own Zoom, and it keeps calling my wife. I'm so like not technical. Oh,
0: dude, you're not the only one, brother. It is like trying trying to navigate the vagaries of the internet. Internet is absolutely insane. So, <laughs> you know, it's it, so it's coming up with the 10th anniversary of your book and the wolf are going to republish don't ever punch a rock star yes now, yes here's the thing right so i always associated you with the north side kings and we knew who you were before this came about so you know i want to talk about hardcore before we get into the to the minutiae of how you righteously hit the only man i've ever wanted to strangle across the internet <clears throat> um before. So how did you discover hardcore? How did the Northside Kings sort of come about? Well, discovering hardcore, I grew up in New Jersey. And our
1: local bands were a lot of the hardcore bands. I mean, I I grew up listening. I could tell you the first heavy album, heavier album I got, my mom took me to the library when I was in like fourth grade or third Uh or fourth grade. And she was like, you can rent anything from the library you want. I gravitated to the albums and I took out Twisted Sister Stay Hungry. And I'm like, this is what I want. And she's like, What is that? I'm like, look at this guy on the cover. This is great. I want this. And that that kind of took me into a little bit of a metal, but I, I listened to, I listened to like, you know, some of the whatever was kinda on a radio and stuff, uh, but it was it was USA for MOD that really was the trajectory of me getting into heavier music across the board. Right. I mean, I found Anthrax from there. I found Metallica from there. It, and I liked funny stuff. Like, I liked... I actually had uh, Henrietta Collins and the Wife Beating Child Haters, which was
0: Robin's... Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, BBC Recording Presents. Henrietta <laughs> I mean, Collins and the Wife Beating Child I And mean, I, I had that. And, you know, I had, like, social distortion or whatever. Some stuff like that. But it was... It was that, and I like I like funny stuff like Weird Al, you know, so it was that USA for MOD that said to me, wow, there could be heavier music with funny stuff, and uh, that just opened the doors for everything. I mean, really the first, I'd say, legit hardcore album I found, uh, one of my friends let me borrow a cassette tape of Agnostic Front live at CBGB's, and yes. that, that was like, I'm like, who are these guys? This is live? This this is this is nuts, and that kind of got me into from there a whole different world of music that I, you know, outside of metal, right. that like I started finding, and, and you know, and eventually into bands like Gorilla Biscuits and uh, uh, the Crumb Suckers, and and then it turned into Sick of It All and Ball and you know, all that, all that from there.
0: So, so the Northside Kings, because. Are they an Arizona band? Because it's like trying to remember back. We had the records because Andrew would send us the records from, from Thorpe because you guys were on there. And I I actually reviewed, I think, two or three of your albums um, when they came out of Thorpe. And then all of a sudden, you guys blow up because of that. But more importantly, <laughs> see, the Northside Kings fill a gap in hardcore that I think a lot of people don't think about, I don't know about, because you sort of bridge the gap between two worlds of old school and new school. Mm-hmm. so how did the band come about
1: interesting story so we um i was i was playing in calls for
0: alarm which was a hardcore band from new york keith Burkhart's and- band keith yes had, yeah keith is one of the nicest sweetest guys in hardcore ever he's just yeah yeah he did the lobster crawl you, yeah. come and stand, be
1: like, yeah. <laughs> you know uh so i so the drummer uh who did uh the split uh, with Warzone, uh, and then he did Cheaters and the Cheated. Tony Scott Leone. Right. I met him when he was touring with Drums on playing drums for Sheer Terror, right? And uh, uh, Sheer Terror and Napalm Death played in Phoenix or Mesa, Arizona. Went to the show, met him randomly at the show. Two guys from Jersey hit it off like immediately. He ended up moving to Arizona, and uh, we were jamming a little bit. We. Uh, We had this band called Eightfold, which was uh, me, Tony, and a couple guys from Arizona. And then Keith kind of wanted to start touring again with Cause for Alarm. But, uh, you know, Alex was older. These guys had like construction companies and this and that, and they really couldn't get away. And I was a lot younger. I was like 19. So uh, I ended up playing guitar for Cause for Alarm. We did the Birth After Birth album, and we did a European tour, we did some US tours. Got my really got my beak wet, you know, as they say in Godfather 2. I just want the wet of my beak, you know, yeah. like said. I learned a lot. And after those tours, you know, when we came back, me and Tony had written a bunch of songs for the next Cost for Alarm album. Birth After Birth, the album that we did with Cost for Alarm, I played on, we had like a $300 budget, I think, left over from Victory, like literally after Keith flew to Arizona. Uh, and we rushed it, you know, but I was putting some time into writing. Well, we ended up not doing the next Course for Alarm record, and Keith put a band together back in New York a guys locally. They did a new record, and me and Tony took those songs and turned it into Northside Kings. So the first Northside Kings album uh, was pretty much comprised of, I would say, 65 to 70% of the songs that would have been on the next
0: Course for Alarm album. If I had um, done it right, so the, this is the thing that always amazes me about like the Danzig incident is why nobody done it before because like my, you know cause I, I'm not I love the Misfits but having encountered but like, I got a Glenn story I can't tell anybody in case I get sued and or I, hate mail. I <laughs> hey, you know, mail. a lot of, hey, oh, hey a lot of shitty males, you know. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I can't... I just can't share it because he, you know what he's like? He would just be like, lawyers, 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 lawyers. And then I came to interview him years later. And it's he's literally the only interview I've ever had where there is a prerequisite set of things you can't ask him. You know what I mean? There's, there's a whole list of questions. Glenn won't answer questions about the misfits. Glenn won't answer questions about this, that. So you just go like, well, what's the type, point of even speaking to the dude then? You know what I mean? I have, a million, I have a million questions I would ask.
1: Like, how often... Do you wash those leather pants, and do you bring them to a professional cleaners to get them clean <laughs> or not? What is the SPF that you use for sun protection? I would just give him an interview of the most ridiculous
0: questions but in the this, world. The question: How you know those 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 weird uh, mixed martial arts gloves you wear? Right? How many times do you ever actually hit anybody with them? And I would wager it was at. Eh. Mm. Because- I'm
1: guessing. I'm guessing. I'm. You know. I know. There's talk of uh, the guy from uh, Def Leppard or something got into a fight with him. I- I'm guessing found- there's probably a tremendous amount more people that have had fights with him through the years. Right. It just so happened to be that what happened between me and him got caught on video. He spun it into. It was. The, it was the earlier days of the internet where things would really hit the internet and spread like fire. And he put out some BS about it, and that's what made it even crazier you know, and if it was another person, you know, maybe somebody didn't brag about how people scared scare them and all this stuff, you know, and they got into a fight, you know, it's just probably wouldn't nobody would even give a shit, but,
0: uh, you know. The you thing know, is, even watching the video, he starts it. It's not like you provoked it, you know what I mean? You're no, you not at all. It's yeah, a yeah, reasonable yeah. discussion. You just talk to him about a situation that he's provoked and he's put, because you've driven a long way to play this show, right, you guys, and then mm-hmm. he says, we're going to We'll make an announcement from the stage. They stick around, watch the bands after, and you guys are all cool. With that and it's it's just like yeah, that that's fine with us. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a thing where you know you are put in a situation where everybody's going and you've got to drive back without actually getting to play. So what's the point of it? So you just you just talk to him, and then all of a sudden. <clears throat> Crazy man, I don't know. I mean, people just do crazy stuff, and uh, dude, it was insane. Just look at him going like, yep, 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 yep. At the time, yep, he deserved it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I did not. Is There's a a long-running funny thing that I said the word fuckity? Yeah, uh, which is not even a word, but it's it's now in the urban dictionary that the the word fuckity and and and. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was shocked. I actually said, you fucking hit me. And I went <laughs> back at him fast, but I said it so fast, you hit me, you know? Like, I was just, no idea. You know, that was gonna, the, the only thing missing on that tape is maybe 10 seconds of me being like, yo, man, we talked about this. Like, what are you, you know, you're supposed to announce that there was other bands because he, he refused to move his time and the show fell behind. Nobody wants to play after him. He's a, the, the bigger band. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, that, 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 just tell people that the show is not over. That's I all.
0: he yeah, got go a little crazy. Yeah. But, you, but but on the plus side, you get a career out of it as a writer. You know, you discover something about yourself, right? That you yeah. possibly wouldn't have explored if that instant hadn't happened.
1: You know, I always was into writing, but I never took the plunge. And uh, it was that hate mail uh, that I put together in all these lists that me and my friends would drink and read and laugh and laugh. The little fucking guy wrote me some crazy shit about, (laughs) you know, uh, I deep-drove burritos or, or, you know, whatever the fuck. Uh, And and somebody mentioned to me, one of my buddies was like, man, you should, like, assemble this into something. And it was long before, like, Jimmy Kimmel had mean tweets uh, or anything like that. Like, I was, like, the guy that kind of put together the self-deprecating, whatever, that's the expression, list of things that uh, people don't like. And, and you know, I, I, I put it together with kind of a, a story of what it's like to play in a small band. And, I mean, that that, that portion is only a small portion of the book. Right. There's, there's, yeah, there's more stories about touring and even, like, my house fire that I had. But I took all the stuff that I had, And related, even in the house fire, I got crappy messages from people saying like, that's what you get for fucking with Satan or whatever, you know. Uh, So I was able to put the hate mail stuff and crappy messages in between the stories of that. So it it really, it kind of, it kind of brought me back to a passion. I like, I wrote a lot in high school. I wrote for some zines and stuff here and there. And I did some, I had a website for years called I Can Smell Your Brains.com and we did like a lot of horror stuff reviews and i interviewed tons of people like about their favorite horror movies like vinnie right. stigma the heart called it the quiz of the dead and i gave you know him uh, he talked about his favorite horror movie was frankenstein where i did one with henry rollins or uh you know gary from propane i would try to mix music with with horror together and uh you know i closed that site because i'm running a website of work and very expensive, and uh you know, I uh, I moved into the writing, and that's how this kind of kind
0: of came about. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you're you writing and there's a book that just stands up straight for me—the mega book of revenge films, right now. See, I had no idea you were you were a movie buff at all, didn't? Oh. But dude, you know, it's it, it's like because Stephen goes, you've got to meet Danny because you guys have got a very similar taste in films. Sort of the same. There it is, the mega book of revenge films. Right. So, how do you distill it down to a list of films that you think everybody should watch? Is there an ingredient in a revenge film that makes it a revenge film? Just some sort of payback. I mean, I, I have
1: the book is assembled in chapters and different types of categories. So you've right. got, like, martial arts or kung fu revenge films. you got horror revenge films. Nightmare on Elm Street is a revenge film. You know, <laughs> Freddy Krueger's coming back for revenge. Friday the 13th is a revenge film. You know, uh you really look at... I mean, the, the mom was getting even for what happened to her mongoloid kid in the lake, you know? <laughs> uh And then you got uh you know vigilante films, I mean, they're pretty much all along the lines of revenge. De- Death Wish with Charles Bronson, I mean, that dude, it's a vigilante film, but it's a guy getting revenge for what happened to his wife and daughter,
0: right? And so, but, but we I mean, to his daughter again, you know. If you look at a vigilante film, it's The Exterminator with that, with the best tagline ever, you know, if you're lying, I'll hour. be back. Yeah, uh, that is, and you know, we watched the film now, it's kind of dreadful. But when he puts the guys with the mincer, that's like, yeah, you know, we've all been there. We've all wanted to take somebody through a mincer because they've done something to us. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you know, when you think about revenge films, for me, it's always like Enter the Dragon or Big Boss because they, you know, they are essentially two of the ultimate revenge films. So, what are your top five based on? You know, based on the fact you've written the book, what are your top five revenge films?
1: You know, I
0: love were- Vigil- I lo- Vigilante is one
1: Right. Robert Forrester and uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson. Uh, a big fan of that one. I would say Death Wish Three is is in my top list. Okay, uh, it's so ridiculous and over the top. Um, uh, I love Kill Bill. I think Kill Bill One and Two is just phenomenal. Uh, I love Lady Snowblood. That's another good one. Right. Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but it's no. a, a Japanese film. Quentin Tarantino really bit. That scene with Uma Thurman and Lucy Liu out in the snow, right? Well, even, now, even the music he bit uh, from Lady Snowblood, uh, and I love. I guess it's got a couple different names depending on the version you, you watch. But uh, Lone Wolf and Cub was a series of like six movies. They they turned down a Shogun Assassin for yeah. three movies. I, humongous fan. I know that that would maybe not be quite considered a revenge film, but the Shogun's after him, and he's just killing
0: everybody that messes with him. Uh, I mean, it's just what a movie. Well, it, the Waffle Cub is essentially what The Mandalorian is anyway. You know, yeah. what, what the, man, oh, totally. the Mandalorian is just, just a complete remake of that, but set in the Star Wars universe, and something made palatable for a younger generation anyway.
1: And that's what all those old uh, kung fu movies that, uh, or martial arts movies that Tashira Mifune did, you right. know, back in the day from Yojimbo, uh, to I think A Fistful of Dollars is very similar, uh, in aspect. He took a lot of those spaghetti westerns from those old, uh, those old Tashira Mfune movies, Throne of Blood, and, you know, the uh, Hidden Fortress. I mean, they kind of, Really took that style and brought him into Western. It's the same thing that they did with Mandalorian, because it's a, it's a, it's a Western, you know? Well,
0: again, again, Hidden Fortress is, is, is Star Wars, essentially. You know, yeah. that's what George Lucas rips off and he goes, yeah, well, this is what we're going to do. This is, yeah. So look, but, but uh, let's go back to, I mean, don't ever punch a rock star because, because the book is coming out again now. All right. So how have, it's actually out now. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Cause, um, yeah. Trying to keep up with things, my brain is old. I'm, I'm getting old, brother. You know me. So, <laughs> listen. I brought a whole co- I brought a whole coffee bag <laughs> to party over here. Literally sitting <laughs> on a table with me right now. So, <laughs> have you edited and updated it for the for the re release, or is it just is it essentially the book that's been just republished, completely redone? I um, I played a band, and I
1: get the. That- Vibe of I wish I could have went back and redid some stuff, right. and there was a few things in Don't Ever Punch a Rockstar the original that I didn't like. Well, more than a few things. Number one, I edited it myself. I am not an editor. I uh, I learned that from the first book. I even put the same picture in the book twice of our guitar player Butler. Literally <laughs> the same pictures in two different chapters. Uh, you know, so uh, that was the first thing. Number two, I was a little angrier when I wrote it and. I'm not like that anymore. But the situation's funny to me. Back then, it was like, "Oh, this guy," you know, because he was just non-constant talking about me, and so I, I added a lot more humor to it. I changed the overall tone. There was a few things with hate mail that I didn't like words that people used, and I put it in there originally to kind of show this is the kind of uh, horrible people that are out there, right? Just say things like this. And then I looked back and said, you know, maybe I ought to put some stars, you know, where this word would be. (laughs) And I, and I changed a few of those. I got a new forward, uh, Gloria Cavalera wrote the forward, um, She's one who got a tremendous amount of crazy stuff and the whole thing happened with Sepultura. It was like her fault, you know, which is ridiculous.
0: I was just, that's just uh, insane, because people fall out, you know, and, we, and, and Max was obviously not happy in Sepultura, so he just moved on. Yeah. That's a, That's the end of the story. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and she, you know, being the manager and his wife took the brunt of it. And I got to tell you, uh, the strength and resilience that she had from that situation Definitely taught me a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So she was perfect for the forward. And then I wrote a whole addendum with like it's got reviews from the original book from Danzig fans, bad reviews. <laughs> like this like this one that somebody posted on uh, on Barnes and Noble's website. Yeah. It's apparently written by Danny Marianino. So like I wrote my own bad review. <laughs> and it said something about me having anal fissures and all this crazy <laughs> stuff. So I, I put I put some of that stuff and other I, I added some stories, like, with other musicians that I met that were kind of jerks and dicks. And there's a funny story with uh, Dave Mustaine uh, in there. Uh, I called him Mega Breath. He got all <laughs> mad. He was, like, breathing in my face. Uh, you know, it's some funny stuff. I, I, I added a lot of humor to it. So I revamped it. You know, even the cover, we changed the color of the background because the original was green. But now I it's got, got this glow. Purple with this now with twelve percent more hate mail, uh, <laughs> you know. On a, on a, and then the back cover is a little different. To some quotes, there's new pictures. I mean, there's it's it's considerably thicker. This is a, a rare hardcover version of them that I'm only going to have
0: at shows when I do shows. So, but uh. well, I mean, the, the thing that always amazes me is that because Glenn talks a lot of shit about it when it happens and he spreads it everywhere. I'll hate to use that word, but that's kind of what he did. But he ne- he never gave you a platform to say, well, let's talk about this together. You know what I mean? Let- let's just sort it out and explain what happened. And it's always got that keyboard warrior mentality. You know, I could say this and I can say that because I've got the platform to say. It. But no- he never says to you, "What was your take on?" It? No, he.
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, he he's got a whole different story that. Uh people do this to sue you, or, you know, whatever. I mean, listen, if you are a guy that makes the greatest sandwich, or you think you make the greatest sandwiches in the world, yeah. and then and, and you're like, my sandwiches are the best, nobody makes a, a fucking hero like I do, and then all of a sudden somebody makes a hero that beats you, and you're like, well, he cheated, and he did this, or, you know, this happened like this, and this is why, it's kind of what happened. I mean, you know, he...
0: I've been beaten up before. I don't know if you have, but okay, plenty I, of times. Because my mouth I've gets, me into, mouth gets me into trouble. That's it. But you take it and you get up and you move on, and that's the end of it. You know, this I've is. I've been,
1: yeah, I've been beaten up by guys that are half my size. You know, you 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 win some, you lose some. Yeah, and and, and in life, you gotta take take the hits. You know, <laughs> What's that TV show? You take the good, you take the bad, you take them all, you got the facts. So like, <laughs> yes. That's basically what it is. You know, you go with the flow. But in his case, you know, and I'm not trying to talk shit about him. I'm not coming down here to, yeah. to talk poorly about anybody because that, that, that phase of it is over. But, you know, in his case, if he just said, ah, listen, I got into a fight, and you know, what happened.
0: And I was kind of a dick and whatever. And none of this would have ever turned into anything. Yeah, but it's just it's just an ego thing, you know. You just can't can't take it. They can't take I mean, the, the funniest thing I've, I think I've, I've ever seen what, was Chris Jericho, you know, the wrestler, and he was talking. Yeah. He was talking, and he goes, you know, beforehand you got Danzig and he's just this, you know, or coming on stage and being like 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 the, like the Wolverine, and then afterwards you go, nah, nah, you can't sell that to me no more. Nah, you just can't do it. It's just and that I think captures it entirely. It's this Glenn trying to save face. I can see why he wants to because he's spent years creating this image of himself, and then he gets shattered. Yeah, yeah. I've said you know? exactly, exactly. And you know, I, I
1: don't, you know, I didn't know there was a camera rolling. He didn't know there was a camera rolling. You know, he initially tried to press charges on me.
0: Uh, again, I assaulted that, him. Again, that that is just absolutely ridiculous. The idea that yeah. you're going to press charges. You, you, and then he
1: and then he goes out and he's doing these interviews and he's like, "Yeah, people do this to try to sue you, motherfucker. You tried to <laughs> sue me, like, you know, saying like, what are you talking about? This is insanity." Just, yeah, and I'm not trying to make any kind of politics or yeah. anything like that, that. But when you see these politicians that go up there and they say this. Then they do a whole different thing, and they say something completely different. Then they go somewhere and say something completely different. They get people confused, and they don't know what is right. And he said, "Well, he said this here, and he said this here," and and the confusion causes chaos. And and like he kind of built that, and that and that caused people to literally say, "Oh, fuck this guy," and write an email, you know, to me or, or or. or flood my, you know, back then it was MySpace page for our band, or, you know, Facebook, or you know, just you you, you put out all this bullshit rhetoric, and 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 it, and everybody's got a whole different story. And if you if you go to YouTube, I don't know who posted the video, but it wasn't us. Uh, there's plenty of posts on there, but there's one that's got like five million hits or eight million hits on it. And you look at the comments, people all have their own story that they really think that that's. Well, you know, the, the the this roadie from another band started a fight with Glenn for no reason, or or hey, he fled the scene, he ran away, and the, you know, because he said so much of this for so long that people have heard these other interviews and like, oh, that's what happened. Yeah,
0: but that's the case. You know? Know? He, I think he believes his own story. You know, it's become because he's told it so many times, he starts to believe this, and it's just that whatever. Yeah, so, whatever. Do you think it, it that moment soured you towards music as a whole, like, like playing in the band? You know, like, the, like, the reaction to it and from it. You know what I mean? Like, so you see the scene. The scene is one way for you before that moment, and then after that moment, when everybody just goes, "Oh, fuck oh, oh, you," and starts sending you hate mail. Well, just, I think it really—I think it really spoiled our
1: album. Right? People say they did this for publicity or whatever. But we put out, we happened to have an album coming out literally a week or two after that organized in our neighborhood album. I thought it was such a good step for Northside Kings Right. and a and a better produced album. We, we really had our, you know, like I said, the, this thing of ours album was, our, was really our demo that Thorpe released. Then we went and did a follow-up family affair and the studio closed while we were recording, and that recording just went to hell. It's a decent album, but it could be so much better. I would yeah. love to go back and re-record that entire album. But then, you know, now we, we put a lot of work into this organizing our neighborhood album, and I thought it was just it was it really a good step in a good direction. It was heavy. It was It was awesome. And it was clouded by what happened with him. Because right. anybody that got the review, the record... That was like a Danzig fan would immediately go into how we set the guy up on. You're doing an album review, motherfucker. What are you talking about? Personal shit between two guys from Jersey getting into right. a fight, and, and it's continued. I mean, even on uh, I got this book. Uh, this uh, to
0: make matters worse. Oh, dude, they're, dude they're... That, you that is so funny. I that audio book, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there's a girl I got I have
1: so I did an audio version of it in print. I sent you that audio. Yeah there's a there's a girl that did a review of it. I don't know if I have it on my phone anymore. I mean she went into us so bad and it was all I don't have it on here anymore. I had it on my phone. The whole review is on a website called Razor Cake. If you look up right. to make matters worse Razor Cake, this girl starts it off talking about Danzig. I mean, this is in 2016. My, this book has, doesn't even mention the guy's name. Why would right. you even bring that up? Matter of fact, I barely even talk about Northside Kings. I think I talk more about cause for alarm in this book, uh, with stories from cause for alarm. But she that's what she did. She focused the whole review on that. She called me a goblin of a man. She said that uh, uh, I'm a—you I'm know my 30 seconds of fame was... Like, why is it gotta be like that? I mean, I, I you know, just because she wants to suck his dick really bad, you know, in his sweaty leather pants, uh, you know, in a hundred and fifteen degrees in Arizona show, it doesn't mean you gotta like do the whole review based on that. And that, and it, and it really hurt. I think kind of hurt us uh, morally in regards to right. how we felt about that album because we loved it. And and then we did the next album, the Suburban Royalty. And guess what? Every review, you know, not every, but uh, you know, a good forty to fifty percent of the reviews all mentioned him.
0: But but and, it's just like separate what you're doing from the. It's just you. know, What you had beef with Danzig, they don't. You know what I mean? That's, oh, that's yeah. well, so it's they kind of they kind of well, actually they kind of do. I had to stop the guitar player from fighting him in the afternoon,
1: so <laughs> we didn't get along with him all day long. I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just that situation. Yeah, our guitar our guitar player, uh, his uh, Luke, at the time, his ex wife was 110 pounds, tiny, but she was like three or four months pregnant. She had a teeny little belly showing. She rode with us up there, and she walked past his backstage room, and he yelled out, "Hey, you!" And she stopped because she was a big dancing fan, and she's hi. She goes hi. He goes, "Are you pregnant, or are you just fucking fat?" Which put her into an emotional. Say that to a girl, let alone a pregnant girl. You know, she was. So my guitar player's. I'm gonna fucking kill him. I'm like, yeah, no, that's oh, that's he'll that's play it.
0: a show. It's not worth it. You know. And then look what I did. So. But, but the thing is, you know, this is the side that people don't see. That, that this is what Glenn's like. He'll snap and say whatever he thinks he wants to say, and there's going to be no consequences because he's Glenn dance. Do you know what I mean? I and mean, people have this inflated opinion of like, I can say what I want to say. I like not, do it it's okay. not
1: just it's not just him. It's a lot of it's celebrities it's like a, that. Yes, yeah, so a
0: lot of people. They said, this is my reputation, though. So this is what I'm going to say, and there's going to be no comeback. And then when somebody gets the comeback, he goes, "Oh, okay, so it does happen." And then you got to justify your position to the world and try and make out that you're not the one responsible, but you are. You know, we're all the architects of our own fate. It's that simple. You got to be. Uh, it's like yeah, you, you, know, get, you, you get you get more with wine than you do with vinegar. Right. You know? so, like Joey Keith said, you know, talk minus action equals zero. Okay. If you're gonna if we're gonna talk the talk, you know, you need to be able to walk the walk. It's that simple. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, listen, I I I go through life trying to be as nice to everybody as possible. I mean, mean we and, all get, okay, we all mellow out as we get older, you know. So you have like again, like you're saying, with the new issue the, is you have a different perspective on the situation, you know. You've got the time to look at it behind. It's like, you know, it, it is what yeah. it, it is. What it is, But I think, it, like I said, you know, it sort of impacted the band and people were looking at the people, uh, that that situation rather than judging the music for what it was, how good it actually was, you know? Well, and, and, you know, and it still happens with
1: other musicians that are, but there's a lot of musicians that are jerk offs as well. On the back of the book, I have a quote, and this was on Facebook about a couple of months ago. It said, uh, I'll read this to you. Because I got a bunch of quotes on the back. It says, "Who that fat dead guy that never did anything but sucker punch an actual legend?" LOL, fuck him.
0: That was Harley Flanagan. <laughs> I, 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 sorry. So this, I mean, I'm not getting into this about Harley because I'm, I'm one of John's friends. You know what I mean? You fall into like camps with people, <clears throat> and I know John personally. I know John, hang out with and be around, and he's a he you know, he has some strange views, but that's John's right to have those strange views, you know, and he, he's a really, he's a real sweetheart of a guy, you know, I can't see how anybody would say he did this, because I know the dude better that to know that he wouldn't have done that. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, I think I take a lot of what, I mean, he's a great musician, don't get me wrong, and I don't know Harley, I can't comment on Harley, but I think... But yeah, I that's know. just... You know well, that's 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 just
1: another uh, thing of, of people that just they see they have their own view of the situation, right? And they're clouded. I mean, he's so clouded by the fact, obviously, that Danzig put them on one of their misfits reunion shows, right? Uh, and, and then they're, they're friends for years, but I mean, you know, come on, man, like, why would you post that about somebody online? And like, I messaged his comment back i responded i'm like oh look look who's fucking chiming in big talker over there always fucking bullying people on the internet and like you know like like you're a martial arts guy how would you call that a sucker punch when a guy goes like this and he's right in front of you like this i mean you know i i, I didn't sucker stab anybody you know so he uh Basically. he didn't respond you know i'm I, sure you know, so, i'm a- sure he'll talk poorly about me after this i don't give a
0: fuck Everybody makes up their own reality to reflect a situation they had no part of, anyway. Because it's yeah. you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who who have something to say about the situation weren't there, so you can't comment on something you weren't. If you do, if you weren't there, don't talk shit about it because you you don't know what happened, you don't know what went down. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. so sell the book to us, Danny. Sell this book to everybody out there who's going to hear this. I sell you a book because so, I think you're a funny mother. I, MF, I, I think you're one of the funniest guys I've heard in a long time, right? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm like, I was walking my dog, listening to the audio he sent me, and I went to myself laughing. So people are thinking, we need to get this dude, you know, section, get him in the mental hospital cause he's laughing like a drain and nothing, and nothing that's going on. Cause they can't see on my headphones in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got my opinions like Tom, well, I think you're funny and I think you're a great writer. So you got to sell. That's how I would sell the books because I would read them in a heartbeat. You sell them. Okay. So, I
1: mean, listen, Don't Ever Punch a rock star is a funny story uh, about an underdog and and what it's like to play in a band. And people have a whole different realistic uh, outlook of uh, unrealistic outlook of what it is. And, and, you know, I make light of bad situations. And, you know, you can take anything and take
0: uh, take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. That's what I did. Right. So. You've got to sell the other books as well because a mega Booker revenge film. You've got to sell that because people. Mega
1: Booker revenge films is a good book. Uh, to make matters worse, you know this is all more funny stories from when I was a kid. Uh, it, it's kind of it doesn't really have too much music stuff, but there's a story about when I get into a fight with these Guidos and a, uh, they had a pool party with paintball guns and I had this giant party at my house that the cops, thank God, broke up because it got out of hand. And uh, uh, you know, uh, an old chubby girl uh, uh, pool party that I went to. That's a funny story. <laughs> How I snuck into this place, Frank's Chicken House. It was an all-nude strip club in New Jersey that served sort of fried chicken. That was like our porkies. I mean, there's a ton of stories like that. This is this really has been. Oh, I got this book as well. Uh, this is a fun one. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Belliger book uh, of the a Belligerent book. book of Movie Quotes. Don't know that one. So this book, I was in like a home. I was in a Hallmark store. Right. Uh, I don't know if you guys have Hallmark stores out there, but it was like a, all, all the Hallmark cards. And they had like this book, like the most loving movie boats book of all time. And it was like shit from like on Golden Pond. I'm like skimming through it. It's the notebook. And I'm like, man, it would be funny if somebody wrote a book that was all mean and angry quotes. So I did. And <laughs> I mean, if you hit any, you hit pick a, pick a page number, pick any page. Number. Right. So how many pages is the book? Oh, oh yeah. Actually, that's a good question. Uh, it was about 100. Okay, 72. 72, okay. Let's go to page 72. I'm going to give you the top quote on 72. Oh, that's a good one. My mother-in-law, for years I wouldn't kiss her face. ended up kissing her ass. That's (laughs) Monty Capuletti in Easy Money, uh, which is Rodney Dangerfield. That was my bad Rodney Dangerfield uh, imitation there. And the one that's right below it, I saw the way your friend... Uh, Marcino looked at me. I thought he was going to shoot me with the tranquilizer gun and tag my ear. Rosemary and shallow al. It's just like one shitty, mean quote after another. It's a great little table, coffee table book. If you're looking on uh, another page, there's a good one. You punch like you take it in the ass. Jake Lamada, Raging Ball. Ivan Drago, I must break you. Oh, here's a good one, honey. You got real ugly. Ash from Army of Darkness. It's a fun little <laughs> table book. It's like six bucks on. Amazon. And then, uh, this has been my, uh, it blows my uh, mind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a page on, uh, YouTube, TikTok, all that stuff at the uh, Instagram. It's at, it blows my mind. This book, I'm a guy that keeps lists. Hence I wrote a book on revenge films from lists of revenge films. I liked, or I wrote a book on hate mail from lists of hate mail that I kept. Uh, I'm just that guy. I like to write lists of stuff. And I've been writing down for years things that I'm completely annoyed by. <laughs> and, and I put them in a book uh, together with really good illustrations from, from uh, Mick Lembro. He's an artist out of Australia. And he does a ton of cool band stuff. He did Slapshot's album cover. did right. a shirt for uh, Agnostic Front's Eliminator uh, Windbreaker. Uh, he's doing a flyer for Furnace Fest coming up. He did one the posters for the Black and Blue Bowl in New York two years in a row. Tons of band stuff. Madball shirts. I think he's done probably five Murphy's Law shirts. He just did the greatest Sheer Terror shirt. Sheer Terror did those Biohazard reunion shows. Yeah, yeah. And, and he did the Urban Discipline. So I've never seen a band do this. It's brilliant. They made a parody of the band that they're playing with, Shirt. So Sheer Terror took the Urban Discipline cover. And wrote Sheer Terror down the side in orange instead of Biohazard. And instead of the kid doing the junk rope, it's like a skinhead with a beer, and he's like all tipsy with the Sheer Terror <laughs> Bulldog. And
0: it says uh, uh bourbon discipline. See again, uh, Paul Paul is one of the funniest dudes I know. I I would listen to him talk all day because he just you will never get bored to listen to Paul Duane. Oh,
1: he's a nut, man. I, and, and it was such a... So Mick did the design for that. I think Dead City Records sells it. So yeah. he's done a lot of band stuff. He did some stuff for us in Northside Kings. We just became friends quickly. And uh, he did... I mean, throughout this whole book, you know, every page, there's like... Well, not every page, <laughs> but every couple of pages, there's funny illustrations of a guy who's supposed to be me, but really not. It's a character... We created name Carmine because uh, I don't want people to think (laughs) I'm. And uh, and even uh, though I lose, i like, you know, it's all stuff like, uh, like, like here, and we know you have shit on that brown nose of yours, you know, or uh, let's see another one here. uh putting lemon in my glass I, and put them in the same lemon container with other piss covered hands that have been finger fucked my glass by putting it all the lemon inside inside the receptacle. It's you know so I, I, I basically do these videos like all like a couple a week on those pages where I'm like, it blows my mind. And I some are from this book, some are from a future book because we're working on volume two right
0: now. Um and uh we got a couple of things in play. In all right, well, Danny, it has been an absolute blast talking to you, brother. And I hope everybody goes out and buys your books because they need to. And Thank you. We're going to do That was Dari Maranino. Uh, and you can get his new book, Don't Ever Punch a Rock Star, from DeWolf Publishing right now. I say new, it's the 10th anniversary edition of the book. It's been greatly expanded. And I thoroughly recommend it because it's really funny. And Danny is one hell of a writer. Okay, so next up it's Tony Reflex from the Adolescents talking about their new album, Caesar Salad Days. So uh, take it away, Tony. I think.
2: Keyboard. It was actually the one on the
0: screen. <laughs> so there we go. All right. What All part right. of the country oh. are you in? I'm in. You know, I'm in um, just down the road from Newport, where you played. I believe. Oh, oh goodness! goodness. PJ's. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a while ago. Right. Right. Oh, good. So you know.
2: You know, we're having a storm. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the show, and it was it was a it was, you know, like some shows are legendary, and you get there, and you think this is me. This is what I really wanted to see for like. Thirty years. That was what it was like for me seeing you guys then. Oh, that's great! Thank you for that. So, the new album, "Caesar Salad Days." Do you want to tell us about it?
2: It's a, it's a, a it's actually kind of a compilation. It's a, a, a lot of material that we've we've played over the over the last forty years. Um, a couple of them are from way back, and then um, most of them. Um, are from the uh, the last 20 years. Right. So, um, we, and and because most of our stuff only has been released in Europe or is not, um, um, it are old and just not, the songs aren't available, decided to go ahead and re-record them. But, you know, part of it was also that I hadn't been seeing the band for so long because of the, the beginnings of the pandemic. Uh-huh. And so I just uh-huh. wanted to kind of get everyone together, play some music and record, put it down on tape. and um, um, Or digital, really. <laughs> it's not tape anymore.
0: No, but, the uh, Tape, uh, tape to, disappeared, gone with the, the dinosaurs.
2: <laughs> I know it kind of it kind of dates me for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it dates us all because you know like, like the first time I heard you guys was on the tape compilation that I got off a friend, and it's like oh,
2: uh-huh.
0: this is someone else. I mean, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys sort of got on to Rodney on the Rock because he picked up your tape yeah. that you record, and that's how you got you made the name for yourselves, back 80, 81, like, like, something like that. Jeez.
2: That's right. Um, We uh, um, we had recorded uh, a four song demo in March of 1980 and um, we brought it to Rodney. Actually, I did. I drove. I didn't drive. I went out with my friends to Rodney's show. Uh, Steve and I went and um, uh, that's Steve Soto and I. Um, And we went out to uh, to Pasadena. And dropped off the tape for Rodney. And before we got back to Orange County, he had already played it. So we're really excited. You know, we thought <laughs> that we had we had hit the big time right there. We we're going right. on the radio.
0: Because uh, there's all sorts of weird little stories about when you guys started. Like I, mean, I know Casey on the band and, then, and then mm-hmm. was on GI after that. Um, right. But there's that, also that famous story about you guys used to rehearse in Chicken Coop.
2: We did. Um before uh, uh, in the time before yeah we really did um, in the time before Casey and Rick were with us we um, they were in a band called the detours and the detours had a like a lockout on a chicken coop so they had uh, uh, played in a coop behind um, uh, uh, behind a house literally it was somebody's house and we were literally rehearsing in a chicken coop um, the chickens were no longer in there they were running around but they they had another coop for the for the chickens to live been so, yeah. We were we were practicing in a chicken coop, that's uh, that's a real a real thing.
0: I mean, it's not if you tell the kids today that, you know, when you guys start, you're rehearsing chicken coops, and the way you got shows is by getting tapes out to Rodney. I don't think the scene is they can you know, they can even make some of the same sort of comparisons with the scene today as the scene as it was when you guys started because you, you were the progenitors of the LA sound of that whole sort of. We were here. We did this. We started this movement,
2: right? right. We, yeah. It is a a whole new world. Um, you know, in in it's reciprocal. What the what they're doing to get their name out there and get their band songs out there is really quite different from what we did Uh and it was it was uh there was a a network that was done by by letter and by um by snail mail and by phone calls and um um if you if you wanted to book your band and you wanted to get you'd have to get a hold of somebody you know after work or before they did family stuff or whatever there'd be a Small window that you might be able to get into, and uh, it's not like now where you have a cell phone and you can get a hold of somebody twenty-four hours a day. That was like really, you know, it was really locked into schedule So, um, and for people who aren't schedule-minded, that would also pose a pose a a a problem for them.
0: It's like the whole credit card things with phones (laughs) and iPhones.
2: Amazing (laughs) (laughs) trouble. (laughs) <laughs> That's yeah, trouble no, to be yeah, had no. for sure. I, I, credit I, cards I, weren't easy enough before. Now they're really easy. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: because uh, you left the band in, I believe '87 originally.
2: I did. I did yeah. leave uh, in um, the middle of a uh, actually in the middle of a tour in 1987, and um, I was uh, going to college, so. The the problems with the tour weren't worth the uh, uh, flunking out of school, so I just said I'm out. You know, I went home and um, didn't didn't play uh, in the band again for about four years. So,
0: because because you know what it, it's difficult because Steve is your friend. Steve is like your best friend all the way from back. Right. So, did that cause any animosity between you and Steve back then when you originally left? Was there any ill feeling or did it? Did Steve, you know, see? Because he always seemed to be one of the coolest guys on. You just like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's not a problem. You've got to go off and do your own thing. Yeah. In my life, there's
2: there's been maybe three people that I that, that and two of them come to mind, but I know there's got to be a third that I never had an argument with. Right. And Steve was one of them. The other was Eddie Egan, who who had also passed away. And um, he was a a good friend of mine and actually of the whole band. And um, 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 back then and to present, you know, to the the current lineup where they're all, you know, he was just a really uh, upfront kind of guy and really easy to get along with. But um, Steve and I had remained friends um, even through all of that. And he um, actually on the, the Balboa Fun Zone album, the last song, It's In Your Touch, where he actually had written that about me. I can't listen to the song because it makes me cry. But um, he had he had written this song, you know, after I had left, he wrote this really, you know, you
0: know, heartbreak,
2: heartbreaking, gut wrenching song, because the way he looked at it and the way I looked at it were completely different. So, you know, me, I was looking at it like I was I was leaving and you know, getting my pulling myself up by the britches and getting getting you know getting serious. Uh-huh. And for him, it was you know his friend left and so um, um but we 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 remained friends through that whole period you know we uh we had uh, breaks where you know he'd be doing his band thing and touring and whatever and like I said we're, we're talking right. about a time before cell phones and um so so there'd be periods of time that I wouldn't hear from him or I wouldn't talk to him but um we our friendship still remained
0: because I mean um, I've never heard a bad uh, words uh, uh, about Steve Soto by anyone anyway. And that's just remarkable. Because anybody that did always, yeah. Within five minutes, so it must have been yeah. When, when he died, yeah. Imagine, yeah, it
2: was, it was, it was um, for everybody. It was a, it was a um, really rough and and tough time, you know, because uh, he touched a lot of people
0: well, so you know, through was, his was, music was- and through his humility. Was there a time, you know, after Steve passed when you thought, I don't want to do this anymore without Steve or? Yeah,
2: but I, we were, I was in, um, when it happened, I was in um, um, Rome mm-hmm. with my daughter and uh, staying with a friend. And Steve, we had just seen Steve for four or five days before because we, we were on tour. Um, our, our last show was in Boston and, um, um, you know, I saw Steve uh, at the end of the the, sh- the show. He said, saying goodbye to my daughter and and um, saying goodbye to me. And I said, you know, we had um, um, left one of our passports with him. And he goes, he said, oh, it's all right. You know, I'll mail, you know, I'll mail it to you. Or I'll bring it when when we see each other next week. And he kind of paused for a minute, and I paused uh, for a minute. And in that that moment, I knew I wasn't going to see him again. Like there was something, just something about the. Uh, about the exchange and about the silence that said something's going to happen. And I don't believe in stuff like that, but when you experience it, it's a whole, you know, you, you realize like, you know, chance and, and fate can be um, um, right there in your face. And uh, you you think it's something else. Like, you know, it seemed like it was otherworldly that, that this happened, but it was, it is true that, you know, when we saw each other, we talked and, and we're saying goodbye. We we knew I could tell on the look in his face, and he could tell the look in my face that like, something was something wasn't wasn't right. And um, and like I said, my you know uh, my daughter and I left from Boston to Rome, and we were in Rome, and Steve died about four days after that. And so we went home, and um, we we were supposed to to start a tour in Europe um, about. I guess it was about a week after Steve died and um, just decided, like I, you know, I said to them, Steve would never, it would never be okay to miss a show because that's how he, that's how he felt. He was really adamant about we don't miss shows for any reason. And um, um, so I said, we, you know, we've got, we've got to finish this tour because this is, you know, we, you know, we are obligated to our friend but also to the other people that, you know, had invested a lot of time and money into, you know, putting the tour together, the shows together. And so um, um, Brad Logan was with us and um, he was actually driving and doing the tour managing for us when we were still in the United States. So I asked him, I said, you know, it, it seems to me like the most, you know, the, the, the most, um, obvious decision is that Steve asked you to come on this tour. So you're part of, you know, you're part of our group until you don't want to be part of the, of the group. And we could use your skill as a bass player because he's a guitar player. Um, um, if you could fill in for Steve and he agreed to do that. And um, he went over to Europe with us and toured with us. And when we got back, we asked him to to stay in the band. So, so that's, you know, that's what happened there.
0: How's it, I mean, how does it feel touring now in the 2020s as opposed to touring in the 80s? Because it's got to be a lot harder now, you know, just to get in the van and go and just leave everything behind than it was back then. <laughs> it
2: is. Um, um, you know, for one thing, um I haven't been out uh, on a. We went out on on, a couple of um, tours since the pandemic has has uh, started and started to resolve. And um, um, so we've been on a, a couple of tours. They haven't been longer than two weeks but um it's you know i'm 60 now i'm not 40 so you know my body feels it a lot more uh, sitting in a van for long periods of time because we still you know tour in a van um sitting in a van for a long period of time is hard for for all of us because you know backs and leg cramps and you know all the knees, all the usual knees, stuff man. that happens oh, but now, knees, now, now we're old and cranky still yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: it's the knees right <laughs> all the time you could,
2: yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, be careful with those knee. My wife's gonna probably need a knee replacement, careful on that knee, yeah, yeah
0: I just, you're you're a know, lot you of pain because you're skating to your, record. Skating to your record and you, you know, you're the soundtrack to my youth, you know, to my youth. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna blame you for record <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It was absolutely fine. I had a great time. <laughs> Don't fine. get me wrong, bro. <laughs> and so I just... It just That's always like makes me think, but, you, know, know, now, think but, you know, now... How do you view punk rock now how as opposed to how you view... Uh, 15?
2: Well, um... When I was fifth like I said, we thought we hit the big time when we were on the radio. So that really tells you a lot because even the nowadays the radio doesn't mean anything. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if it got played on the radio today, it would be like what, how many, you know, I did a radio interview and in my mind I'm thinking like I love this this show, I love doing radio, but I also know, you know, that unless somebody saves it, they record it in some some manner, that that whole Piece of time is no longer is no longer there. Where back you know back then, um, if you wanted to you know wanted to remember something, you brought a cassette tape player with you, or you you know you set it up on the radio so that you could listen to it again later on. So you know I would listen to Rodney on the Rock uh, tapes. I still have tapes of Rodney's show that that from back from back then that I listened to, and I've got a couple where he played us on the radio, and it's really exciting because I could say to my brother hey check this out I got played play it on the radio and have a cassette you know cassette reminder of it but um nowadays people um they record pieces but they don't record like uh you know so they might record 20 seconds or 30 seconds of a song um and not really catch the you know catch the the spirit of the of the rest of the set you know maybe and and you know for us you know it's usually the same two or three songs that they that they pick you know 20 seconds out of or 30 seconds out of and uh one of the one of the nice things is start we're starting to hear um our newer material now that people are getting more and more familiar with it but um um like i said the the just just that aspect of it has really changed um, networking was different back then um, you know like I said it was phone and and letters and um, um, the attitude towards um, uh, the punk rock scene was more um, to me not everybody agrees you know they, they like to point out the, the the violence and the fights to me the, it was there was all the the there was also um, a camaraderie that we were um, we were a unit that That was really a microcosm of a larger society that was hostile to what we were doing. So we couldn't walk down the street without, you know, without running the risk of getting beat up, you know, either, you know, superficially or getting really, really hurt. And um, um, that's not a threat to people. Uh, in the punk rock scene anymore. If they get if they get into a fight with somebody, um, it's usually a, another punk. But what I I haven't even seen a, a legitimate, you know, you know, throw down brawl in. Um, well, remember, I, we had a pandemic, <laughs> but I haven't seen anything like that in more than five years. So that's a you know, that's a, a good thing, um, a, a good change. Um, you know what's more likely for for a person for a punk rocker these days isn't to get beat up by a carload of of um, angry athletes or um, or or angry rockers or whatever. Um, it's it's more likely to get hit by a homeless person walking down the street than it is to get hit by a you know by a hippie a, a hippie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because part of the LA scene like you got this you know we always saw it as being like wild and hideously exciting because there's a, like an untamed spirit between like 1980 and, uh, and
1: 84 mm-hmm.
0: do you miss that at all that sort of you know you, you've got the Olympic auditorium or you've got the whiskey and the, you don't know what's going to happen next in the next five months I mean, you you know you're going to play but you never know what's waiting for you or the cops are going to turn up and whether they're going to bust the show or whether you know people are going to try invade the show or smash it up or, what, or whether you're going to get paid it just seemed to be right. like you know, you were on this wild west. like this final frontier of musical culture.
2: Well, you know, just you know, going back to the the, the question before, um, um, just back then, money wasn't an issue. If 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 you were promised fifty dollars, usually you'd get your fifty dollars. And if you didn't, the person's reputation was on the line, so they weren't willing to you know to lose the opportunity to book other bands unless they were really losing their asses on the show. Um, what what is you know later you know and now is that for some bands you know it's all done um, it's all done the, the payment's done in advance through electronic means so there's there's no threat of, of not being paid but you're you know you, you hit on a, a good point that, that there was a difference there uh, you know in um, um, whether or not a band was going to get paid. And what there was, you know, the excitement of the unpredictable and, you know, you know, that. There yeah. could be—you never yeah. knew what was going to happen. It could happen five feet from you. It could happen fifty feet from you. It might not happen at all that night. But there was also there was always, you know, the, uh, you know, you didn't know if you're going to deal with a riot squad. If there were going to be helicopters could flying overhead. If there was going to be a big fight that you were just too close to and you got caught in the, you know, you got hurt or stomped in the middle of this 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 brawl. Um, the the slam pits were really really you know, really, really rough and could be very, very violent um, because uh, uh, it wasn't seen like it is now. It's like a fun let's dance type of thing. These were like a lot of really, you know, angry, angry, young, young, usually young men that were that were, you know, going in a circle. And if one hit the other and knocked him down, there wasn't anybody wasn't going to pick him up. He's going to get trampled or he was going to get up and start swinging at the probably the first person that, you know, that went by because they didn't know who knocked them over. So, um, yeah, there was there was um, uh, certainly a level of unpredictability. You know, the band, the the headlining band might not have time to play because the show, you know, the show uh, uh, ended too early. There were too many bands. And uh, um, another problem was with bands. You know, back then they didn't they weren't very professional. So you could go see a band play you know 15 minutes of music but also do seven or eight minutes of tuning um in between songs which was terribly annoying and if you listen to old old concerts you might hear you know exactly that if they don't cut the the tuning out you'll listen to a an album and it's you know it's 34 minutes long the, the record but you've got you know 12 minutes of tuning and, and to, you know, waiting and, you know, <laughs> and it's neat because you can hear people talking and the, you know, um, I've got a great germs uh, bootleg and you can hear a conver- whole conversations going on. So that's
0: kind of a cool thing. I mean, it must have been insane to see Davi doing what he did.
2: He was a great singer. I mean, uh, um um people can say whatever they like about his timing because they say he was a crummy singer, but um I didn't think he was a, a bad singer. I think what was wrong was that his timing was poor. And so he'd be a little bit behind, a little bit um behind the drum beat when he should be on it or in front of it. And so, so the songs might come off sounding like a jumbled mess. And it was just because he was singing on the, you know, singing, you know, uh, you know, the wrong time and um, um, timing wise. And um, and you, when you listen to the album, you go, wow, this man had these, you know, these incredible, incredible riffs. And this, the vocals were, were tight, you know, he, the, the lyrics were smart. Hold on, just a minute. Yeah. Here we go. Just my dog wants to wants to come in. She sits on on my bed, so she wanted to come up. No,
0: she's a little old lady. Yeah, she's a little old lady, so she doesn't jump anymore. My old dog's crashed on the sofa. Got a beagle, and he's just he's had enough today. It's too hot for him. He's had to walk, and he's just like twelve years old. I'm done. I'm just going to lie on the sofa and just crash out. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My buddy. Yep. Yours too. Did you ever think, you know, like yeah, that you'd become like sort of this sort of legendary band the see? Because what, what, you've assumed the status of, of similar to Bad Religion and sort of and above the eyes, in that people always cite you guys as influences, as major influences on their sound, you know, and they wouldn't be here for been for you.
2: I think that, um, um, oh, there's the band was really tight. Part of it was that when Casey and, and Rick came in, they had, um, they had, uh, a, a, you know, three or four songs that they, that they brought with them from the detours. So these songs, when learned them became very, very tight. They were really easy to do. Um we had, um, the adolescents had, uh, about 12 songs. And, um, when we come, when we merged with, uh, with the, the uh, Rick and Casey, um, we ended up with, you know, picking out the, the best 13. And um, um, so that was, um, you know, that was why we recorded the songs that we did. But why it's had the impact, I think, you know, there was a lot. Um, my, you know, the, the, vo- the vocals show that pretty much anyone could do it. I think I think that you know I I gave every every other singer the opportunity to sing because I wasn't a trained singer um um but yet able to you know put you know you know craft and put out a really good record and um um, and I think that it's the longevity has to do with the disaffection, you know, the disaffected uh, uh, people that were growing up then and now they can still the, the song the, the songs on the record aren't dated in any way. So um, the, the, they they become um, absorbable for everyone, um, regardless of generation. So they, they can relate to, you know, the loneliness and the um, um, uh, the difficulties of of youth, you know, growing up, you know, being a teenager and um, and hear that and, and relate to that. So I think that that's part of why it's lasted as long as it has. Um, you know, when you get to, you know, bands like other bands that were making records at the time, a little bit later was Bad Religion, who yeah. I thought How Could Hell Be Any Worse was a fantastic record. But then you have songs like Eat Your Dog, which, you know, which made a, a, a statement about... Um, um, you know uh, it made a, it made a statement about uh, I think about um, um, uh, uh, cultures not not understanding one another um, but I think it's kind of a dated song so so that kind of stuff you know da- you know it, you know you get um, you get songs with, you know lyrics about Reagan well that's all well and good but if you don't if you're if you're 15 right now you don't even know who Ronald Reagan is or was. Like that, you know, that's unrelatable for for them. So I think that that's part of the reason that that record has has had so much um, uh, popularity with 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 young people over the years. So we get now we get generations of of people that show up at the shows. We get the 15 year old who is living that record right now. Like, this is what's going on. They're in punk rock. They are punk rock. They call themselves punk rock. They listen to punk rock records. And that's that's where they're coming from. And then you get, you know, your older post-punk, maybe their, their older brothers and sisters or parents, and then even their grandparents who were there, you know, the first time around. So it's it's kind of an exciting generational thing. You
0: know? well, I mean, lyrically... It's, it's almost like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because, As you said, lyrically, your songs are still on point because it's still every generation experiences the same you know, dissatisfaction and disenfranchised sort of nature of society because society just leaves us all behind. And we, you sort of epitomise that idea for... I mean, it's certainly for me when I was 15 years old, it was something I could directly relate to. And I can still relate to now that I'm 50 years old. So it's... it's, it's You know what I mean? It is, Yeah, there's a timeless quality to your song which makes you guys stay the course. I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good summation.
0: Yeah. So let's get back to New York. Are you I'm assuming there's gonna be tours and you're gonna head our way soon. Well I'm hoping not We
2: We've done a couple. Um um um
0: what part of you're in Newport Beach? Yeah, so Newport so you played in a club called TJ's years and years and years ago. Right. Which is I'm down in South Wales, so it's a Cardiff, Newport, i between Cardiff oh, okay. and between... Mm-hmm. And you played TJ's and it was like literally oh one of those one of those definitive moments when you get to be in a club a that you spent twenty years going to and you see a band that you've been waiting thirty years to see and it becomes you know, the whole thing sort of works out works together. So are you are you coming back over?
2: Um, yeah, we um, well, we have not not that far, not into South South County, but the um, 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 or North County if you're in North San Diego County, it's in that gray area. Um, but I think that um, the closest we have right now is we're playing with seven seconds at the uh, Garden Amphitheater. Right. So we've been playing the Garden Amp a couple of times a year, and um, that seems to be our Orange County like stronghold for right now. Uh, mostly because it's all ages and um, um, we try to play uh, as many all ages shows as we can because for the very reason that we were discussing, because we've got a, a fan base that have never seen the band and they, um, um, and they're listening to these records and they want it. They want to, they want to see, and they want to hear it too. Just like, you know, like, like their older punk rock compared to um, you know, so, um, I don't know if I just made up a word, but if I did, that's that's great. Um, Always <laughs> good.
0: <laughs> Always good. Yeah. So that's why well, I guess. We- so no, sorry, carry on, Tony. <laughs> oh,
2: I was going to say, um, it's all right. I forgot. It's a, it was a fleeting thought.
0: <laughs> so I guess that's um, that's we done. It's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You know, it's it's one of those. Um, bucket list moments so I could just like take that off my list like yeah the lesson style uh, you know well thank you for thank you for interview, the interview I appreciate it. And the new record is phenomenal. It really is. Thank you. Great.
2: I I really like it. I, you know I uh, I I actually it's the first of my records I've ever made that I paid for completely paid for myself. And um I in the when we were in the pandemic I knew that there was going to be no income but I wanted to make I wanted oh. to make this record. So um, I um, I started selling my things, you know, on on online uh, uh, on an online au- auction place, and um, I managed to put together enough money to record an album. So that 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 was so it, I'm proud of it. It, it. I put a lot of work into it.
0: You so, it. Thank to to really right. sure <laughs> <hope so. laughs> Tony. But Thank yeah, you. we're, we're, we're joined those Thank you for your time tonight. So Brother, i really really hey. appreciate it thank you be safe in this rain you, you too brother bye 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 bye. and that's it for another episode of geekorama folks hope you enjoyed the interviews uh stay tuned and we'll have a new episode soon hopefully in the next week or so so thank you for your time hope you enjoyed the show and uh ta-ta